Hi, you're listening to episode number 16 of the Living Richer podcast, and as always, I'm your host, Mark Shimkovitz. Today, we're going to be talking about wills. Look, most things in life are not guaranteed, but one thing definitely is, and, and unfortunately, that's death. And although it might be an unpleasant thought for a lot of people, we can't escape the inevitable truth, and we really should become more comfortable talking about it and planning for it. A recent survey by Angus Reid found that 51% of Canadians didn't have a will in place. There, there were a lot of different reasons, including that they're too young. People felt that they didn't have enough assets. They also felt that, well, wills are probably just too expensive. None of these are good excuses. We can't keep our heads buried in the sand. Not having a will can really leave your family in a bind. If you pass away without a will, the rules of your province are going to decide who gets what. And it may not be what you want. Also, if you don't have a will, you can't plan your estate to minimize taxes. Today, we're going to go past just understanding that you need a will and focus on giving you a better understanding about them. I'm going to be interviewing Paula Lester. She's a lawyer and an expert in the area. We're going to be taking a deep dive into things like what makes for a good will, what you should pay attention to when it comes to creating or updating your will. We'll look at executors and the important role they play. Paula also talks about some of the main things that she's seen in her role as an estate litigator that can complicate an estate. In other words, what can go wrong? We talk about probate fees, what they are, how much it'll cost, and how they can be minimized or even eliminated. And be sure to stick around to the end when we talk about trusts and how you can use them to continue to control how your money's managed and distributed long after you're gone. Welcome to Living Richer with Mark Shimkovitz, Vice President at Raymond James Private Client Group, one of Canada's largest independent investment firms. In this podcast, he'll share with you the things you need to know and things you need to do to build a smart financial plan. Follow along with Mark and learn how to invest wisely, avoid financial mistakes, and navigate life's curveballs without fear. Now, let's get started. So, thanks for joining us. Today, we have Paula Lester with us. Paula is a senior trust advisor here at Raymond James, and she's responsible for providing comprehensive estate incapacity and trust planning services to our Ontario residents. Paula's worked in the trust industry since 2017. Before that, she practiced as a family and estate litigator. Uh, she's very passionate about trust and estate services to protect clients and their families to avoid, to avoid a lot of the unfortunate situations she's witnessed as a litigator. Uh, Paula graduated with a Juris Doctor uh, in Law, I believe that's what it is, from Queen's University, which, by the way, Paula, that's where my daughter and son went, not for law, but they went to Queen's. Um, and I'll, I'll let you jump right in and um, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, so um, there's been a lot of talk uh, recently. We, we've had uh, a webinar series here at Raymond James on estate planning. And a lot of the questions, um, I think, sort of draw back to the very earliest part of the estate planning process. And people say, well, estate planning. I don't have an estate. Isn't that just sort of, sort of for wealthy people? Um, and I think that that's probably one of the misconceptions, isn't it? 
It definitely is. Yes. I always say in my ideal world, everyone over the age of 18 has a will. Um, but you know, too many people who are far later stages of life who don't yet have one. Yeah. And so the will, I guess you would say, is sort of the, the cornerstone. Uh, of a good estate plan, and, and we won't get into all of it, but why do, why is it that a will is so important, and, and should everybody have a will? Yes, so I do strongly recommend that everyone has a will. Um, the will is where you get to say, you know, what happens to your assets when you pass away, but it does go beyond that. It's also where you get to say if you have children, you get to say who you want to be the guardians of your children, mm -hmm. and you get to say who you want to have administering your estate. Um, but beyond that, it can really help. It's a kindness to those who are going to be trying to administer your estate because the will itself provides for a streamlined administrative process. Um, I know one example where someone said to me, you know, her husband had passed away. It was unfortunate, but everything was joint pretty much, but he had no will. And the one thing she had to deal with was re-registering his car in her name. And that one little task, because there was no will, caused her a nightmare. She actually had to go to court to get probate and, and all of this where she really would have just had to show the will if not just because of a car just because of a car and that's just one example I've seen a myriad of other ones wow um so when people are putting together wills um there could be I guess good wills and, and bad wills what would make for a good will and if you have some examples of other things that might make for bad wills yeah, so to begin with, when I see a will that's about two or three pages long, I get scared. <laughs> There's a lot of legalese in wills, and it's supposed to be there. And I appreciate that sometimes people don't understand everything that's in their will, so I'll break it down for you. Mm -hmm. So first, first of all, the will should revoke previous wills. Um, it shouldn't revoke all previous testamentary dispositions unless you actually mean to because what that means is it means it's revoking insurance designations registered um, account designations things like that so make sure that your wording is appropriate hey, can um, i just jump in quickly one second. when you say testamentary designations yeah. uh, what does that mean in, in real english so it means whenever you're saying, wherever you're saying, how is this item to go when I die? And some of, sometimes, most of the times that's done in the will. Sometimes like on an RRSP or RIF or TFSA, you have a direct beneficiary designation. And again, a will that says I revoke all previous testamentary dispositions is actually revoking all of those as well. Mm -hmm. um, and that's something that came out, I think it's about 10 years ago, we, we learned that through a court case. And so more modern drafting should not have that wording, but certainly I keep seeing it pop up in wills where it shouldn't be. Okay. So it should revoke previous wills, but again, not all previous testamentary dispositions. Okay. It should then go on to name your executor, who's the person who's going to administer your estate. And most likely, unless you've named a trust company, um, you should have an alternate in case that person's not able to act or has passed away or, or something has happened. And then it, your will should go on to dispose of personal items, household items. Um, if you have specific gifts or so specific items or pieces of real estate or a car that you want to gift, it should include that, specific amounts of money. And then the bulk of your estate is probably going to fall into what we call the residue. That's the leftover. That's right. where you start dividing your estate up by portions or shares. It's really important that this part leaves no loose ends. So if, for example, I say, okay, I leave the residue of my estate to my husband, 
but that's all my will says. If my husband passes away before me or we pass away at the same time, we've left something unsaid. So it should follow through um, to make sure there are no, again, no loose ends. And then is the part that most people don't understand why it's in your will, but it's pages and pages of administrative provisions. So that's giving powers to your executor to administer your estate properly. Because at law, an executor doesn't have all of the natural powers that we take for granted. And what do I mean by that? Your will should give them the ability to invest in a variety of ways um, because you may have some investments in your estate. The ability to borrow, that scares a lot of people, but your, your executor may not have access to money right away to pay the debts of your estate. Maybe it's all tied up in real estate, whatever the case may be. To settle claims, to um, gift assets in kind, that means actually transferring assets as is instead of having to sell them. So it goes on again for pages, these types of administrative provisions, um, and they are very important. Without them, your executor might have their hands tied or they may have to go to court to ask for permission to do certain things with administering your estate. So I can certainly see how that, uh, the administrative provisions would be important to getting back to the original question, what makes a good will? That, that, exactly, exactly, yeah. And, you know, good lawyers who practice in this area are constantly keeping an eye to the cases that come out because those cases will tell us how judges interpret these provisions and we might make changes as we go along in our practices. So if you have a lawyer that is using the same format, the same clauses that they used 20 years ago with absolutely no updates, um, that's not a good sign. Of course, that can be difficult to sort of figure out as a person who's you know just trusting their lawyer, but these are some things to look for. Okay. And then finally, um, in Ontario and in most provinces, you have to sign the will right. and have yep. witnessed by two individuals who also sign for it to be valid. Right. Yeah. Um, and with regards to uh, COVID, that, that sort of changed a lot of things in terms of signing. Do you need to get together with people? I mean, some people are pretty apprehensive with that. Yes, so COVID did change things and there were some changes to the law to allow for virtual signing. It can mm -hmm. get a little complicated um, and uh, and it's not something that's necessarily going to last in terms of the how it will be allowed as we move forward. But for now, you know, you can have multiple versions, multiple copies, the same will, multiple copies. Each witness is on Zoom along with the person who is creating the will, the testator. Um, and, and everyone sort of signs their own copies. And then, you know, so you'll actually, instead of one original copy of the will, you have three, one signed by the testator, one signed by each witness. It, um, it's nice because it's helped, uh, certainly when we can't get together, but it has added complications. And so if you can do it the traditional way, it's probably best because it'll avoid any um, potential um, accusations or concerns over whether it was validly signed. Okay. Uh, so that's good. So that that's all the things you got to have, all the things you need to do. And now you've got a will. You can just put it in a filing drawer, put it away, and never have to look at it ever again. Right? <laughs> Please don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So right, facetiously. Um, but so once the will is in place, beyond that, are, are there things that you sort of need to pay attention to, or, or is there anything that needs to be updated? What would sort of prompt you? To, to sort of revisit the will. Yeah, absolutely. So even when you're, you're 
getting your will done. And certainly, um, you know, as the years goes on, go on and your life changes, there's certain things that you should have an eye to and that your lawyer, your estate planner should have an eye to because they affect your estate plan, regardless of what's in your will, or maybe your will needs to be updated to address them. So one of the things is understanding your assets. Mm-hmm. So if I think I have an estate to gift to directly to my children, for example, but everything I own is joint with my husband or has him as the beneficiary on my account. Well, then I don't actually have anything to gift away when I die. When I die, everything will pass directly to him. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of people really don't understand that from their assets. I've had situations where, where someone has a disabled beneficiary and they mean to put everything in trust for that disabled beneficiary, but they've had a separate discussion with um, an investment advisor who was not aware of their estate plan um, and decided that for probate savings purposes, they'd have their registered accounts go directly to that beneficiary. Mm-hmm. Well, that doesn't go into the trust. It goes directly to that beneficiary. Mm-hmm. So what I love about investment advisors at Raymond James is that we have a lot of conversations to make sure that everything's done cohesively. So that's one example of something that you should be aware of. The other thing is your family situation, particularly in blended families. Um, People might say, okay, well, yes, I have a second spouse, but I want to leave everything to my children for my first marriage. You have to be aware that your spouse may have rights against your estate. Married spouses have property claims and both married and unmarried spouses have support claims. Those can be modified by contracts, um, but even then, those contracts are not always ironclad. So understanding those aspects, support obligations towards spouses and children is important. And then understanding other obligations you have, contractual, you know, what happens to your mortgage when you pass away? Are there funds to pay for it? If I'm joint on my mortgage with my husband, can he just continue it or is it callable? Or if I have another loan, understanding those types of things is really important so that there's no surprises in the administration of your estate. And then the last thing I'll say is your executor. Mm. A bad executor or a poor choice of executor can completely derail an estate plan. Even if everything else is ironclad, if the executor is not doing their job properly, they don't have the time, they don't have the financial savviness, or if there's conflict between the executor and someone else in the estate, so there's accusations that they're not doing it right, those can all cause serious issues in the estate administration and can cost your estate money and and basically... um, just really uh, ruin the legacy that you're trying to leave. Okay. So for executors, I know that a lot of people will simply choose, um, well, either a spouse or a child. Is that a good idea? Um, uh, are, are you doing them any favors? Are you showing like, oh, you know, I love my child, so I want them to be my executor. Not, number one, is that a good idea? Uh, number two, if not, what are some of the things that people should be thinking about when they're choosing an executor? Yeah, so it can be a good idea. It depends on the circumstances. Generally, when you're, you have a spouse and everything's sort of joint um, or has each other as a, a beneficiary, there's not a lot to do on the first death in terms of estate administration, and it can make a lot of sense to name your spouse with the executor. On that next level, With your children, so if you have one or two children, they're financially savvy, they're here in Ontario, um, they get along, everything's fine, your state is not terribly complex, you don't have a lot of moving parts, then it can make sense to name one or both of them as executor. But if there's complications, so first of all, um, if your estate is quite complex, you have a holding company, you have multiple pieces of real estate, or if your situation is complex, you have a blended family, if you have assets in different jurisdictions, those types of things 
really call for maybe more of a professional executor, like a trust company. Mm -hmm. And then you also want to look at who you're thinking of naming as executor. Are How old are they? If they're your age, either have an alternate or consider someone who's younger. Um, do they get along well with other the beneficiaries? Is there a potential for conflict there? Are they in Ontario? And the reason I keep harping on Ontario is because if someone's outside of the province, they are likely going to have to post an estate bond, an actual out of the province. Bond. Yes, yes. So outside of Ontario, um, they will likely have to post an amount to court as, a, as an assurance that if something goes wrong, there's money there to pay because the Ontario courts don't have jurisdiction outside of Ontario. If they're outside of Canada, that's an absolute no-no because that'll actually change the tax jurisdiction of your estate mm. and cause serious, serious complications that will cost your state a lot of money and they'll have difficulties administering the estate as well. So think, very important things to think about. And like I said, if you don't have an obvious choice, consider hiring a professional executor. It, it really can be the right choice in a lot of circumstances. Okay. Um, it, you A moment ago, you mentioned something about like complications. Um, it, it, what do you see in terms of estate planning and, a, and estate administration? What are the, some of the main or, or bigger complications that you tend to come across? Yeah. So um, I've already alluded to some of them. One of the big ones is those poorly drafted wills right. um, and will challenges. So a lot of people fighting over what does the will actually mean? Sometimes it's over um, how the will was made. So there's a lot of claims around um, undue influence, meaning, you know, mom's gotten a lot older. One child takes mom to the lawyer's office to change the will. And suddenly that child is more, you know, gets more under the will. Mm -hmm. I've seen a lot of fighting amongst family members over whether mom was under duress or whether that child, you know, was influencing her. Um, we see a lot of uh, litigation around joint assets. So when we try to avoid probate, um, which we can speak about, um, people think, okay, I'll make my assets joint with my adult child. It'll pass directly to my adult child when I die. But the law is weird around that. So there's a lot of fighting over whether that child actually gets all those mo that money or whether it gets clawed back into the estate to be divided up by the will. Um, and so that's a really, really scary area that a lot of people accidentally get themselves into. And then I see a lot, it's just around conflict. You have a blended family, do you have siblings that don't get along? Is there a disabled beneficiary or beneficiaries that have different views? Those, those issues in and of themselves underlie a lot of the, the problems that we see, um, especially I see it a lot around the family cottage, you know, or even just household items, like things that are sort of more sentimental than um, yeah. necessarily have value. Yeah, so the, the, the cottage obviously has a, a very significant monetary value. Um, but the sentimental side of it is that I guess for a lot of people, cottages, you know, may have been in the family for generations, and they all yeah. like to go and, you know, take advantage of it. And um, I guess when mom and dad pass away, then that can create, you know, a contentious situation. Yeah, so I have one case where, you know, one sibling wants to buy out the cottage, the other sibling needs the money, but is not happy with, you know, the buyout price or doesn't even want to pay for an appraiser to figure out what the buyout price is, just wants to put on the market. And so that's causing issues. Like I, I this was, I had this conversation with this person months and months and months ago, and they still haven't come to a resolution. So it definitely can be an issue. I will say the, the last thing that we're seeing a huge rise in is just accusations against the executor, that the executor is not doing their job properly. They're taking too much time. They can't account for the actions they're doing. So that's also becoming um, really concerning. And a lot of people are saying they don't want to be executor anymore because they get a lot of liability attached to them. Right. And, and I think that a lot of executors really are kind of in the dark as to what... Oh, yes. 
their their role and responsibility uh, will be and how that might play out because everybody thinks oh it's great this is a fantastic opportunity i'm you know i'm happy to do this for mom and dad and and all of a sudden yet you know, some of these things happen that you just don't see coming so i guess getting some of that uh, professional advice up front can really help people avoid some of these hurdles down the road yes absolutely Okay, the next question I had for you was, uh, you did mention briefly about probate. And a lot of people think, you know, probate, I'm going to be paying tons and tons of money to the government. What is it for? Um, talk a bit about, you know, what probate is, um, what the costs actually are, and are there ways to either minimize it or eliminate it completely? Yes, so probate, is a court process. So when someone passes away, the executor has the will, they're going to take the will and they're going to go to, you know, you, Mark, as the investment advisor and say, well, can you release the million dollar investment portfolio to me, please? I, I want to administer the estate. And you're going to say, and, and everyone is going to say, well, I need proof that you're, that this is the last will, that you're properly authorized, that I won't get sued <laughs> if I release the money to you. And it's the same thing if you want to transfer real estate, the land registry office won't allow the transfer unless they have that proof. Well, that's probate. You bring the will to the court, you make an application and the court you know, stamps the will and says, yes, okay, everyone can go ahead and act on the authority of the will. So um, that process itself can take anywhere between six months to over a year, depending on where you live, depending on how quickly you get the application together. So sometimes it's worth it just you know, to avoid that process. But the other part, the part people are concerned about is probate fees. Mm -hmm. So the fee is one and a half percent of the value of the estate. It's actually not a lot when you think about it. I always say taxes are much worse. When you, when you pass away, you're deemed to have disposed of your entire estate. And unless you have a spouse you're leaving it to um, where you can roll over assets, that means you pay the taxes on if you've liquidated your whole RSP, you sold all of your real estate, all of your stock and so on. So taxes even if actually- you didn't, it's th that- Even if you didn't, you're just deemed to have done it. Yes. Okay. Exactly. The day you die, it's, it's, you are deemed to have done it, <laughs> no, no matter what. So taxes are actually a bigger thing when we plan estates, but everyone's concerned with probate. There are some legitimate ways to avoid probate. You know, beneficiary designations, like I said, on registered accounts and life insurance, um, having assets joint with it, particularly with a spouse. Like I mentioned, there are issues having assets joint with other individuals. If you have a corporation, there's a way where you can you have two wills, one that goes to probate for the assets that need it, one that doesn't for assets that doesn't don't need it, which would include privately held shares. So there are legitimate techniques. But the important thing is to work with an estate planner mm -hmm. to plan these holistically, because like I said, you don't want to do it ad hoc and accidentally mess up your estate plan because you haven't factored in things like um, like taxes. An RRSP goes directly to a beneficiary. The taxes get paid first out of the estate. So if the beneficiary of the RRSP is different than the beneficiaries under the estate, that can cause issues. The taxes are paid by the other beneficiaries, the ones under the will, not the one receiving the RRSP. Mm -hmm. So again, really important to do this holistically and not sort of just ad hoc self-help. <laughs> right. So a lot of these things actually have pitfalls. So it, it, it is super important to understand just in that example that you gave us that, okay, if I've got an RRSP or a RIF, uh, and I say, I'm, th that's going to go to child A, everything else might go to child B, because they're equal. Well, they're not because of tax. And uh, so it really is important to understand uh, exactly. some of the pitfalls. Yes.
Um, is a trust, and, and I think, you know, I, I'm, we're kind of going a little bit off topic, but a lot of people do include the mention of trusts, testamentary trusts, so a trust that's created after someone passes away. Um, is it a good thing to have a trust in an estate plan? And, and, and you know, I, I mentioned testamentary trust. If you can just also briefly explain, you know, what they are and, and, and why someone would want to use a trust, because that, that seems like we're getting into that estate part of estate planning, like really high net worth. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, I'll, I'm happy to explain, but it's not necessarily just for the high net worth. Um, so a trust is basically a way of giving someone an inheritance. When we talk about testamentary trusts, the ones that are become active after you pass away, yes. It's a way of giving someone an inheritance, but you don't necessarily want them to have control for whatever reason. So you create a trust, you name a trustee, who's the individual who controls the funds in the trust, for the benefit of the beneficiary, the person you actually want the funds to be used for. Trusts are wonderful because uh, for a few reasons. So one is they can be really flexible in their terms. So what I mean by that is you can say in the trust itself, so in your will, how you want the money to be used. And you can leave it really discretionary. So, so you can say, okay, it's up to the trustee in their discretion, use it for the best interest of this person, the beneficiary, or you could put some stipulations. So you can say it's just to be used for education, or um, I want just $1,000 a month to be paid out. Or you can say, you know, at age 25, the trust collapses, or at age 25, half of the trust collapses, and then the rest at age 30. So very, very flexible to fit to the circumstance. So what are the circumstances where you'd want to use it? Namely, it's where you have a vulnerable beneficiary. So either someone who's too, who's young. First of all, if they're under 18 or, or under 19 in some provinces, they need their assets to be held in trust. Minors can't actually own money in their own names. And if they receive inheritances not in trust, that can cause issues. So under 18, 19, absolutely. But even after that age, they might be too young to manage that much money. So you want to hold it in trust for them until they're older. Um, disabled beneficiaries, and particularly those who are in receipt of ODSP, it can help protect their ODSP benefits using a particular type of trust. Um, individuals who just simply aren't good with money, or if you have a spouse, and, but you're concerned about their ability to manage money after you've passed because you've done it you know, their entire life, you're, you're concerned that they're vulnerable to predators. Um, those types of individuals, those are great uh, times to, to leave the money because they get the benefit, but someone else is managing it and they have to manage it in their best interest. Mm -hmm. um, and we'll add two things. So one is we used to use trusts a lot more for tax planning, but the laws have tightened up. There are some income splitting opportunities, but not like we used to. And the last thing is be careful who you appoint as trustee. Um, this person is controlling the money and they, and they have specific obligations and most trustees aren't aware of them. I was dealing with one woman who, you know, was doing her best. She, she had the, the interests of the beneficiary at heart, but she forgot to keep proper records of accounts and she wasn't managing the trust the way this specific trust had to be managed. And so we're working to sort of go back and forensically unwind that and make sure everything's done properly. Um, so it's just like an executor. It's a, it's a really particular role that takes some, uh, some, particular expertise. Yeah. And and uh, I know from experience that when they are set up properly, they can work extremely well. And, you know, using some of the examples that you gave us, I, I recall a number of years ago where I, when I had a client pass away 
and he named uh, some old friends of his as uh, as co-trustees. One was an accountant, one was a lawyer, and, and I was still responsible for managing the money. And his kids were minors. Um, so when he passed away, uh, he had some of those uh sort of guidelines that you had said that, th that it should be used for education, it could be used for uh, other personal purposes at the discretion of the uh, trustees, and they couldn't get the money until age 25. And everything worked perfectly. So it, when it is designed properly, I can certainly see how it works very, very well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I, I think that covered a lot of information. And uh, was there anything else that you, you wanted to touch on with regards to wills or uh, trusts or anything like that, that we may have missed? I think I'll just sort of end by saying, you know, this is really an overview. Um, okay. It's just this constant evolving area. And we have an aging population. We're seeing more and more cases come to light. We're seeing more complicated families or complicated asset situations. So just don't be afraid to ask for help, ask for professional advice. Um, use professionals, you know, as executors, trustee, wherever needed, um, because honestly, it's your, it's like your legacy, right? Yeah. It's where we want to, we want to protect what we've built our, our entire lives. So, yeah, well, and, and, and I know here at uh, Raymond James with the benefit of Raymond James Trust is that we do have that expertise. And I'm going to make sure that I have links to a lot of the things that we talked about. Uh, if there, I think there's uh, a couple of uh, PDF documents that we have available. I'm going to have those on my website, uh, livingricherwealth.com. And um, just to quickly summarize for the listeners, what we talked about was, first of all, why a will is important um, and what makes for a good will. We also took a look at executors, uh, things that can complicate an estate plan, we looked at probate and you know the costs involved and how we can minimize some of those things and trust. So we covered a lot of ground and I really appreciate your time. Uh, great, great information for our listeners. And if anybody has any questions and they want to reach out to myself or to Paula, certainly send me an email at uh, markshimkovitz at raymondjames.ca or you can connect with me through my website and uh, we look forward to hearing from you. So thanks again, Paula, for joining us on Thank Living Richer and uh, we'll speak to you again soon. Take care. Take care. Bye. Information in this podcast is from sources believed to be reliable. However, we cannot represent that it is accurate or complete. It is provided as a general source of information and should not be considered personal investment advice or solicitation to buy or sell securities. Raymond James advisors are not tax advisors, and we recommend that clients seek independent advice from a professional advisor on tax-related matters. The views are those of Mark Shimkovitz and not necessarily those of Raymond James Limited. Investors considering any investment should consult with their investment advisor to ensure that it is suitable for the investor's circumstances and risk tolerance before making any investment decision. Securities-related products and services are offered through Raymond James James Limited, member Canadian Investor Protection Fund. Insurance products and services are offered through Raymond James Financial Planning Limited, which is not a member of Canadian Investor Protection Fund.